and we were so low in this moment. Uh, we had a couple small term sheets, but we, we didn't have anything big. And literally, as we were walking out the door, we were turning the corner and we were, we were chatting about it. I got a text message and it was from Sequoia and they were like, let's go, uh, let's grab dinner tonight. Uh, I was like, okay, there's something interesting here because we had already met them like three times or four times, done a bunch of due diligence on us. So we were like, okay, this, this feels like it could be an offer. And I was like, oh, why don't we do Chipotle or something like that? Just to show that like, we're not expensive people. Like we're, we, we can have a humble, nice $20 dinner and be okay with that. And they were like, no, let's go to a steakhouse. And we were like, okay, we're definitely getting an offer. That's Brian, the CEO of Doppler. They've raised about $30 million from funds like Sequoia. But fundraising, of course, did not come easy for them until they realized this key insight. When I started, it felt like a gift. Like someone's giving me $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever the number is. And it felt like, oh, I'm getting this lifeline to work on my thing. Well, that's not what's happening. It is a transaction. They are buying equity. They're buying a better a, a return for their investors. So I wanted to know, how does that change the way you should do a deck? And what does the pitch actually sound like? When we talk to an investor, uh, the first thing they would ask for is a deck, just like you said. And we'd say, we don't do decks. And they would go, okay, uh, can you build one for us? And I, my classic response is, I can build one for you, but I will build it after the round is done because I'm talking to other VCs in the meantime. Do you still want to talk now? And almost every single one of them, I think actually all of them said, yeah, we'll just talk now. And that immediately short, uh, shortcutted the deck conversation because in my mind, a deck leads to a fact, it's very hard to tell a story over a deck without you narrating it. So it's basically like 10 slides of facts and that just tells me it's 10 slides for them to say no. Like they're never gonna say yes based off of a slide deck in the Cedar Series A. They're only gonna get to a no faster. So I'm just gonna remove that from the equation and I'm just gonna only talk about, I'm gonna meet them in person, talk about the story. Finally, I had to know what was the coffee conversation like when you first talked to Sequoia? I'm founder of Doppler and at a high level, we're a secret ops platform that helps developers store and manage API keys across all their projects, all their environments, their teams and devices developers. Now you may be asking yourself, why is this important? Why now? Um, and it's super simple, actually. Uh, every company is becoming a software company. And every software company has three things required. Um, that's code, compute, and secrets. Every application is made of those three things. Those are like the fundamental pillars of writing software. And we have amazing tools today for code. We have uh, like GitHub and GitLab. We have amazing tools for compute, like AWS, GCP, and Purcell. And we have absolutely nothing for secrets. And that's where Doppler comes in. We are a GitHub for secrets. The reason why now is the time to work on it is because a couple of reasons. One, as I said before, every company's been moving a software company. So the market is getting quite large. Like I bet you could look around this room and there's not a single thing you could point to that hasn't been touched by software in some way. Even the most basic thing probably had a tracking label on it, which is software. So that's the first part. This is one of my favorite episodes. Keep listening to get the rest of, this, of his pitch. If you're fundraising, this is going to be transformative. Boom. This is the Top VC Podcast, and I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, based in San Francisco. I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. The very early parts of Doppler's journey when it comes to fundraising in particular were quite rough. In a way, like fundraising is a game as much as people don't want to admit it. And once you understand that it's a game, you can optimize for the game. And, and then all of a sudden, kind of like your skills get a lot better. But in the early days, we didn't know anything about anything. I mean, we were clueless. I was, so I would say there's two challenging moments. The first one, when we were at Uber and uh, we had this idea, we were working on it. It was starting to kind of like move a little bit. And we knew that and we were part-time so it was like half at uber half at um at doppler kind of like doppler were nights and weekends essentially and we got a legal approval from uber and everything and we knew that if we could get to full-time that would make a large impact on the business like or, or the potential of this business and so we started well, like naively fundraising it's just like oh contact vc see what they say 
And we, I'm not going to mention the firm's name, but we had a really, really bad experience with them where they brought us in. We, we like Ubered all the way out to Menlo Park. We met them in their office. They were, uh, they were just brutal. Um, and this is a top tier firm. This is a firm I guarantee you everyone listening knows the name of. And they just like crucified us. We walked out thinking like we were the worst founders in the world. And this is like the worst idea. But we kept going because we felt like there was, the business was giving us some insight that there may be something here. And then let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, so we're now into YC, um, we're in the batch and a that partner that, it, that um, crucified us before invites us to uh, Joe and the Juice uh, to talk again during the batch. And so we're like, okay, maybe he kind of, he gets it now and uh, things are gonna be better. And um, so we go there and we were well into fundraising at this point. So it wasn't abnormal for us to be talking to, to him again. And he was just like, I don't get why you're a company. I don't get why you're in YC. And just like crucified us like a second time after like inviting us to go. And this is the, for what it's, for what it's worth, the first time we met him, he was only a couple months into his job. There was a previous partner that I think either left or like, or let go or got let go. Um, and so we're like, okay, we're talking about partner number two in the same space at this firm. Um, and uh, we're walking out and we're just like, what did we just walk into? Like, we got asked to come here when we already have a crazy busy fundraising schedule. Finally, we know something about the game and we're doing something well. And then this guy just like completely tears us apart. And I was just like, what's the point? Like, did you just come here to like crucify us? I, I was blown away. And we were so low in this moment. And we had, uh, we had a couple small term sheets, but we, we didn't have anything big. And literally, as we were walking out the door, we were turning the corner and we were, we were chatting about it. I got a text message and it was from Sequoia and they were like, let's go, uh, let's grab dinner tonight. And I was like, okay, there's something interesting here because we had already met them like three times or four times. Um, and they'd done a bunch of due diligence on us. So we were like, okay, this, this feels like it could be an offer. Um, and I was like, oh, why don't we do Chipotle or something like that? Just to show that like, we're not expensive people. Like we're, we, we can have a humble, nice $20 dinner and be okay with that. And they were like, no, let's go to a steakhouse. And we were like, okay, we're definitely getting an offer. Um, and so it was like this, this moment of like, we got absolutely shit on by a top tier firm twice inside of like four months. And then moments later, uh, there was this, it felt like this offer came through. Uh, and then literally just like in the movies, they slide the envelope across the steakhouse uh, or the table on the steakhouse. And we got an offer that day and we didn't, uh, we negotiated and stuff, but it was like the start of like a real, and we ended up ex uh, partnering with them. Sequoia invested and let her seed round. But it was just this moment of like, we, we came out crushed. And then moments later, like it was good. And like, we could quit in that moment. It's like, we're done. Um, but we, we held strong for a tiny bit longer and got exceptionally lucky. Um, and I think there, there's been other times where like I, I went through a co-founder split and mm. um, if it, it, man, for anyone who's gone through a co-founder split, mm. especially if you have a 50, 50 board. And so they have a mm. board seat, you have a board seat and they, and it's 50, 50 equity for anyone who's in that situation you can change that immediately. It is mm. the worst thing in the world during co-founder split. You think you're okay. You think equality is good. Equality is not good in a company because it means when you're in opposition with each other, you cannot disagree and commit. You you literally are in a stalemate. And the worst thing you can do as a company is stand still. Um, mm. It's incredibly painful. Mm. And so I went through one and it was like a long time. It was like four months. I thought this was going to be a one week thing and be done. And it wasn't at all. It was, it was four and a half months, I think total. And there are many, many moments where I wanted to shut down the company just because I, I like it didn't seem feasible otherwise to like keep going like this. Um, and we were in this weird state where we couldn't shut down the company because that takes two to approve, but we also couldn't move forward and do anything else. And so it was literally just like pause all engineering, pause that everything and just like figure this out.
And it, it was weird. It's like even the decision to quit was taken out of my hands. Um, it was so wild. It was such a wild, wild time. Um, and yeah, there were plenty of moments, but I kept thinking about one thing the entire time. And I, I'm sure most founders would be like, oh, it's like the payday when you go IPO or something. It's like, it wasn't that at all. It was, I built something I genuinely loved. And um, I wanted it to be in the world. And I specifically did not want to go back to the old way of doing things. And I know that sounds like a small technical thing, but like, for me, it was like critical. It's like the, the, the thing that I held on to a lot was just like, hey, I don't want to lose this product in the world. And the thing about shutting down a company is you cannot work on that same idea again, especially if it ends in a co-founder fight. That's like any lawyer will tell you that day one. So like if I if I shut this thing down and just kind of gave up completely, there would be no chance I get to work on this again, which means it probably wouldn't exist in the world um, because no one else was working on this at the time. Um, that's amazing, man. That that's the difference. When I I uh, also run Zendesk startup podcast where we interview unicorn founders, some like co-founder of Zapier, um, Zoom Info, Deal, Mercury, uh, Yext, and that's one of the things is that they're not focused on money like a lot of other founders that you, like the generic founder that you would meet is. It's like it's like an Elon Musk where he's like, I just want to get to Mars so that we're a multiplanetary species. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's just a thing like the, the I, I feel like a lot of times you go back to the thing that got you into it. And like, for me, it was like always this product of like, I've had so many times, so many times I've been burned by doing it the wrong way. And it didn't feel like there was a good way. So it was like, there are only bad options. And I wanted to build at least one good option for people. Bigger than yourself. You wanted to help the, the customers that you actually had. You knew that this was going to make a difference in the world. Tell, tell me more about some of the things that you were hearing from customers during those low moments before the Sequoia steak dinner. We kept hearing this again and again and again, and it just would never stop. Um, and even to this day, we hear it. I would have never thought this was a problem until I tried the product. And then the second I did, I love it and I can't go back. And it was like this constant thing of like, okay, there's two parts uh, that are, I think, good. One is illustrated a problem. We have awareness and education problem. But B, we have a product that once they try it out, they love it. And uh, they, they can't ever see themselves going back. Like you, you basically like reset their expectations. Now the minimum bar is much higher than it once was through your product. And that just like kept me going. It's like, okay, we're, we're so on the right track. Like the product is good. Now we just need to get better at awareness and education. And something we're still working on to this day. And we need to get a lot better at, but as a company, but I think that's what kept me through it. It's like, okay, we've created something so good. People won't even know to even look for this. But the second they tried, it's amazing. Yeah, the, the core pieces were there, but then you had a bunch of distractions with VCs telling you opposite things. Uh, and then of course it ends up working out in the end. Once you understand the game of fundraising, it, yeah. it changes everything. What what does that mean to you? When you when you realize it's a game, you realize there's a mindset that needs to be matched with the game. When I started, it was like it felt like a gift. Like someone's giving me a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars or whatever the number is. And it, it felt like, oh, I'm getting this lifeline to work on my thing. Well, that's not what's happening. It is a transaction. They are buying equity. They're buying a better a, a return for their investors in theory um, for uh, for money today. And so, once you understand that it's a transaction, uh, that doesn't mean the relationship you build with them has to be transactional. But in that moment, what when you say you are fundraising, you are optimizing to build the best transaction for your for your company for yourself um, and for your your existing shareholders, which. Oftentimes when you're the only one with your co-founder who are the shareholders uh, in your first round. And so that's that's a big one. It's like, okay, this is not a gift at all. And I think once you get out of the like, this is a gift mentality, people will play video games. They know how to optimize games. It's not like we're teaching you all the basics of of like playing video games or play, or winning at games. It's just getting in that mindset that it is a game. I think that's the hardest part. And I've seen so many founders, even to this day, where they've raised like a series A and they still feel like it's a gift. And it's like, no. This is not a gift. This is this is a game. And like it, to, to even prove that it's a game, it's just like video games where like 
Uh, you raise a seed round. Uh, you go and you make the company better. You pick up like if you were like playing a video game, you pick up some new skills or some new weapons, and then you go to then you go and play the game a second time. And now there's bigger stakes, but you also have bigger weapons, which is like in this case revenue or story or or product market fit, whatever it is. And if you win to the if you win it, you get to go to the next level, level two. Now you have a bigger war chest, right? You you can have bigger weapons, bigger uh, skills, or if you're playing like I'm thinking like Call of Duty or like. Uh, I don't know, some other video game. Uh, and then you get to the B and now it's like really numbers based, but it's like, well, at this point you've built up a, a big armament of of reasons why people should invest. This could be um, how much you've done in the past, like uh, in revenue or in growth or whatever it is. And so it literally is a game. The better you can arm yourself with data and with a story, the better you'll be able to do. Um, and so that's just like one dynamic of the game where it literally is, in my mind, it is like a video game and you can just, the good news is it's a much more protracted video game and you have a lot more control over the pace of it. So you can, you can really optimize well, which I like, like you don't have to fundraise. You don't have to do like a seed, a B, you could do a bridge in between. You could skip around there. There are a lot of things you could do like, uh, like Vanta. If you look at their series A, that was like an abnormal series A at the time. It was quite, quite large, but it's because they played the game exceptionally well. They waited a very, very long time before they did their series A. Um, same with GitHub for what it's worth. Um, they waited an exceptionally long time. What was one of the biggest realizations you had like with the game min mindset that that you changed on your deck? I'm a guy who doesn't like in, uh, fundraising through decks. So like my rule is you get to see the deck last. And here's the reason why. The f once you realize that it's a game, you have to realize how you're being evaluated in the game. And in the early parts of the game, you're evaluated based on the story you can tell, because there's no amount of numbers that you can provide that will tell a convincing story. Like for the most part, if you started like a year ago, it's not like you're going to have mind blowing revenue or mind blowing revenue growth or anything that's going to any any data you can point to and any data you can point to will be highly speculative. They'll be like, whoa, you did a $2 million at this in one in your first year. Does that mean it's going to implode the next year? Because like, there's a lot of companies that have like had crazy revenue growth and have imploded right out right afterwards. Um, I don't need to say the names, but go do some research, you'll find them. Um, so like maybe having too fast a revenue growth can be scary sometimes. Um, and so like really trying to figure out how you're evaluated. And what I realized is that for the most part, because they can't evaluate you on data, they have to evaluate you on how you think. And the best way you can illustrate how you think about the problem is to tell a really good story because it shows conciseness, it shows your ability to uh, sell, and it shows how you're thinking about the future of the company and where it is today and how you're going to get there. What I did was I just got really good at building a story for Doppler. Like this is, mm. and this is a story, I mean, we use the same story in every round of funding and every uh, employee we hire, it's the same story and it just like reliably works. And and then you you add layers around it, like, oh, how much we're producing today or, or things like that. And I think you need to be really, uh, you need to really control the narrative. So like, for example, when we tell the story, um, or let me back up. When we talk to an investor, uh, the first thing they would ask for is a deck, just like you said. And we'd say, we don't do decks. And they would go, okay, uh, can you build one for us? And I, my classic response is, I can build one for you, but I will build it after the round is done because I'm talking to other VCs in the meantime. Do you still want to talk now? And almost every single one of them, I think actually all of them said, yeah, we'll just talk now. And that immediately short, uh, shortcutted the deck conversation because in my mind, a deck leads to a fact it's very hard to tell a story over a deck without you narrating it so it's basically like 10 slides of facts and that just tells me it's 10 slides for them to say no like they're never going to say yes based off of a slide deck in the seed or series a they're only going to get to a no faster so i'm just going to remove that from the equation and i'm just going to only talk about i'm going to meet them in person talk about the story and i'm happy to answer facts um and sometimes i actually won't answer so like in the early days of the seed round they asked us what our revenue was. And we said, that's not important. We're not focused on revenue. We're focused on building product market fit. And after that, we will focus on revenue. 
And so I can give you the numbers, but you should not be uh, factoring that into your equation when evaluating us. And just like setting the tone of the of the narrative of how they're evaluating us was really important. Um, and we ended up sharing the revenue, but after we had spent so much time talking about the story and how we think about why we're not focused on revenue and could get them aligned on why we're not focused on revenue immediately. Like if you go focus on revenue before you have product market fit, it won't matter. You will not have a good company. And so like I got them aligned on that first. And then when you show the revenue, they're like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. Like versus if you once said revenue is our only thing we're focused on, then they'd be like, that is terrible revenue. Like that is horrendous revenue. Um, and so it's just like, getting people aligned on how you want them to value you through the story and through controlling the narrative. And then at the very end, I think just for like, actually, I don't think we did a deck at all in the seed round. In the series A, we did a deck, but that deck was released only after I'd had like two or three meetings. So it was, it was pretty, pretty late in the game. Like basically my rules, I need to meet with you first and talk with you before I'm going to give you a deck because I need to make sure that the story that I want to tell is is already in your mind and then the deck should support that story. This is, um, yeah, I, I remember when I was um, at Mighty Capital, one of the, there was a founder who opened up the pitch. We had the partners on the Zoom call and they were like, he was like, this is what we do. Like one sentence, what are your questions? And it was like, what? Like, <laughs> and they just started asking questions and eating it up. And he had a slide for every single question and only went to that side. And it was a very conversation. This is of course not in person, so it's different, but like you're, you're engaging and you're leading it by based on one thing at a time, as opposed to be like, Hey, we're awesome here. We're awesome here. We're awesome here. And they're always going to shoot that down when you do it out of context, which is what you're saying. The, the most one, if I'm a founder right now, listening, who's raising around, I want to know your story as an example. So could you pretend for a second that like, I, I work at Sequoia, we, we are having our coffee meeting, the very first one. And I'm just like, Hey, Brian, like, what are you working on? Sure. I'll give you the abridged version. Say, Hey, great to meet you, whoever you are. I'm founder of Doppler. And at a high level, we're a secret ops platform that helps developers store and manage API keys across all their uh, projects, all their environments, their teams and devices as developers. Now you may be asking yourself, why is this important? Why now? Um, and it's super simple actually. Uh, every company is becoming a software company and every software company has three things required. Um, that's code, compute, and secrets. Every application is made of those three things. Those are like the fundamental pillars of writing software. And we have amazing tools today for code. We have uh, like GitHub and GitLab. We have amazing tools for compute like AWS, GCP, and Vercel. And we have absolutely nothing for secrets. And that's where Doppler comes in. We are a GitHub for secrets. The reason why now is the time to work on it is because a couple of reasons. One, as I said before, every company has been moving a software company. So the market is getting quite large. Like I bet you could look around this room and there's not a single thing you could point to that hasn't been touched by software in some way. Even the most basic thing probably had a tracking label on it, which is software. So that's the first part. The second is once you zoom into those companies, uh, you realize that they're using a whole lot more services than ever before. Instead of building their own payment processor, they're using Stripe. Or before, uh, instead of building their own email, uh, they're using SendGrid or Twilio. Um, and so the list of API keys and secrets is just growing rapidly. Then the teams are getting larger than ever before. We've never had software engineering teams this large, this commonly. So there's more people that need to be in sync with these secrets. And then there's also more infrastructure uh, than ever before. We have, we've gone from the days of like one big server or one big data, uh, data center to like thousands of servers that get spun up and spun down that all need to have access to the secrets in real time. And so if you just like multiply it out, the scope or the surface area is just getting really large, really, really fast. And if any of those secrets, even just one of those secrets gets out in the wild, uh, basically doesn't become a secret anymore, uh, real people get hurt. 
like if a Stripe API key go, uh, gets loose, that uh, that company's customers all have their credit cards basically that can get charged or their bank accounts that could get drawn down. Um, so there's like real cost to every single secret they can get out. And there's tons and tons and tons of them that all need to be uh, synchronized and stored uh, securely. And develop uh, developers are just ill-equipped to solve that today. They need a platform like Doppler. Um, and so that's that's the, the future we see. We see uh, a vision today of that everyone needs this, and then a future where every company uh, in the future is going to need this because they're all going to be empowered by software. Mic drop. <laughs> I just it like when you're listening, you're kind of hanging on the edge of your seat, and you're you're anticipating the next question that I'm already having in my mind, and I and I know that that had to have taken time to get to that piece, or, or does, was that something you practiced beforehand, or was that just like through grit of just like looking dumb occasionally and having a bunch of questions and then getting there? I think I'm lucky because I did a lot of science fairs when I was a kid. So I got really good at pitching and building stories fast. So that was like V4 of the pitch. So it wasn't, it didn't take that long to, to get there, but there were some interesting points that I, that I purposely, or I guess not points, um, interesting properties of, of that pitch, which is that there weren't any numbers. I didn't say we're doing this amount of revenue. I didn't say anything. I'm talking about fundamentals of the world. And if you can align to these fundamentals of the world, every company is becoming a software company. Every software company has three parts. There's great tools for, for the first two. And, now's, and now that there's a need for the third, then you can get bought in that this is something that's gonna be big. It doesn't matter what the numbers are today. It doesn't matter about anything else. You can buy into that. You can buy into to Doppler. It's just that simple. Boom. Brian, this has been one of my favorite podcasts and I think it's gonna help thousands of founders as they're on their raise right now to nail that story. To, to focus the conversation. Did you have any other final words? Yeah, I'll just say a lot of a lot of founders, when they go to fundraising, the first thing they do is build a deck. I would argue that's the wrong approach. Build the story first. The deck is your material. It's your, um, your supporting evidence in, your, uh, in building your case for fundraising. And so don't start with the deck. Start with the story and then figure out how the deck can aid that story once you've already shared the story in person or at least live somehow like Zoom or something. Ryan, thank you so much. Congratulations on the success. Cannot wait to see Doppler continue to scale. What's the best way to reach out with you? If there, if you even have time, is it LinkedIn or Twitter? If I'm like trying to, to tweet at you or LinkedIn at you? Um, actually, I'm not much on social media. I've It's it's just too much and uh, too much distraction. But if you want, if you actually want to chat with me and you have like a real reason to chat, like some help with fundraising or some advice or something like that, and it's a really thought out question, I will respond, brian at doppler.com. Super simple. I love that, man. You're not getting distracted by unnecessary things. This is this is amazing. Yeah, thank ignore so the hype much. game. Ignore the hype game. Yes, yes. Those aren't I the think... businesses that endure. I love it. Yeah, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Boom. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top VC Podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. This is way more than just a podcast. It's a community, and I'm personally on a mission to help founders in whatever way I possibly can. So send me an email, adamfodonnell at gmail.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Boom.